0: This is Blockbuster Uh Film School. School.
1: This is Blockbuster Film School!
0: (laughs) This is Peter Weller. You get in that suit. I don't care how sweaty you are. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Blockbuster Film School. I'm Alex Bonner, your host as always. With my favorite co-host, one of the great co-hosts in the history of time, Mr. Nicholas Sauder. The ghost of Joel Esserhaus is running all through me, all through me. He's powered, powered by his ghost. And of course, we have super producer Brian Tips. He's tearing his shirt apart like Hulk Hogan. Wow. Ah, I'm a the real super producer. Okay, well, everybody, we're going to get this going. We are doing a very awesome episode, in my opinion. We're doing one of the wildest and most influential directors in the history of... Jane Campion. <laughs> Ooh, there's going to be a lot of... Dongs. <laughs> there's going to be a, a lot, lot of dogs. dongs. I was going to say a lot of Harvey Cattell's wang. No, there will be dongs and boobs and hyperviolence. We are doing Mr. Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> One of the great Dutch and Dutch-American filmmakers of all time. Maybe the only great Dutch film of all time. We'll talk about it. But Nick, we're going to do our usual caveat.
1: What was the very first Paul Verhoeven movie you ever saw? You know what's fucked up? What? It was Basic instincts. <laughs> That's pretty good. Because fr- I, like, I saw Total Recall later, mm-hmm. and I was upset it was not Terminator 2. <laughs> and then I didn't see RoboCop until like eight years ago, all really? the way through. Really? I saw RoboCop 2, I was like, these are fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. If um, you saw the second one first, yeah. you would think they are bad. Which is such a fucking I know. disappointment because Tom Newton is possibly your real dad. He's very tall. He is- but, um...
0: <laughs> is Joe Bonner secretly Tom <laughs> Newton?
1: We had the movie channel, and Basic Instinct was on the movie channel in Showtime. Oh, yeah. And, like... This is a double answer. Okay. It was that because I secretly taped it because no one else knew how to use our VCR. Yeah. And then years later, I had a uh, essentially the early version of Boner Jams because <laughs> oh, I, I went about and taped over all the scenes from Basic Instinct that had no nudity with all the nude scenes from Showgirls. Oh, that's amazing. So it was a Paul Verhoeven Boner Jams. I'm <laughs> just like... essentially soft porn.
0: Yeah. Paul Verhoeven would definitely toe the line between whether or not it was softcore porn or not in some of his movies.
1: Yes, but updated till now. Yeah. Oh, Everything's kind of mild and stupid.
0: Oh, the stuff he has in his movies are in like Pixar movies now. I mean,
1: it literally... What the fuck are you watching It's called Pixar? He
0: seems so... Oh, maybe it was different. Maybe it was... Yeah, that element that, like, when Beerhoven was making his movies, it was so, it was mind-boggling. You saw Sharon Stone's Nooner for a second. Oh, my God. And now there's pornography in every You can see situation. erect
1: penises on Netflix.
0: <laughs> you can see anything. Original programming. You can see anything you want all the time. But at the time, that shit was mind-boggling. Mine was RoboCop. I saw RoboCop, and I saw it as a small child. My cousins rented it from Blockbuster, I believe, and they started watching it. And the scene where Ed 209 blows that fucking guy away, I remember very distinctly as a child being horrified and genuinely terrified. You couldn't have torn me away from that screen after that scene. I was like, oh, my God. I had never seen anything like that. It was the first hyperviolence I ever saw in my entire life. And maybe I was too young to see it. Maybe that explains a lot of my behavior and uh, my personality. Mm, we'll get into it. We're going to talk about Mr. Veerhoven real quick, of his, you know, our usual caveat. Mr. Paul Veerhoven was born in Amsterdam. That's in the Holland, the Netherlands, in 1938, on July 18th. He was the son of a schoolteacher and a hatmaker. His mom, Nell van Schwardenberg, was a hatmaker, which I find interesting. Both of his parents kind of middle class, but artisans in a way. Uh, they lived in the village of Sleekervier, In 1943, some shit was going weird in Europe. It was getting a little bonkers. Uh, His town got basically blown apart, so they had to go to the Hague. I don't know if you know this, but Netherlands is kind of an interesting part of World War II that doesn't really ever get brought up, where Germany used it as a big foothold, but it also had a huge resistance movement. And so because of that, the Hague, as well as Amsterdam, got bombed really hardcore, both by the Allies and the Nazis, depending on different time periods of who controlled the city. And Verhoeven grew up there. He was a kid during that. And he talks about how during that time period, he saw violence, burning houses, dead bodies, people screwing each other over, neighbors stabbing each other because one was in the resistance, one was a Nazi sympathizer, this kind of fun stuff. So he described it once when they asked him, was that horrifying to him? He said, and I quote, I don't know. I thought it was kind of like a great adventure. <laughs> this should tell you something about this man. Yeah. So after the war though, his father became the head teacher at the Von Heitzen School in The Hague, which is a kind of like...
1: how convenient,
0: Yes, which is their sort of um, mega art school, I guess, the Juilliard. And uh, his dad was a huge movie nerd to the point where he bought a film projector and bought film reels in the pre-blockbuster era of how you could watch movies where you would have to actually buy a film projector and 8mm or 16mm prints of movies and then screen them on your wall. Also, him and his father were huge... American movie film buffs and they would go all the time. He said that him and his father went 10 times to see the war of the worlds in 1953. He also was a big fan of American comic books and he himself drew comic books and was a huge fan of like Frankenstein and Edgar Rice Burroughs. So a lot of that checks out. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's correct. After that, he graduated with a doctorate. In mathematics and physics from Leiden University. He wasted that. Yes, I suppose he did. He did that to appease his parents, and then after that, he immediately went into the burgeoning post-World War II, 1960s Dutch television industry where he made a ton of television shows. He directed, he had an interesting enough, like a little bit of like a Spielberg background where he started making short movies and a lot of different, television shows. And that's where he learned how to direct things. He joined the Dutch Navy at one point. And while he was in the Dutch Navy, he, the Dutch government gave him money to do his very first feature film, which was a documentary called Moosert, which I've never heard of. I don't know. I assume it, I guess it was about some famous uh, Dutch. But a bunch of some <laughs> Possibly Moosert. <laughs> then his first major success was in 1969. He made his own television show, It was called Floris, and it was starring a guy who would be his main boy for a long time, his good friend Rutger Hauer, who in a way, yeah, in a a little bit of a way, this is a Rutger Hauer episode as well. The concept of Floris was it was sort of a psychedelic thing about a knight who goes on a quest to find this sacred jewel. It's really kind of wild that it got made. I've only ever seen clips of it. ever heard of this or seen clips of this.
1: I thought I was watching it earlier today. It turns out to be a Monty Python sound.
0: <laughs> even at the time, though, it got a lot of interesting back and forth between critics. Some people absolutely loved Floris, and some people thought it was hyper-violent, even for the time. But because of this critical success, Floris was a big hit in the Netherlands. Beerhoven's first feature film was a movie called Business is Business, which I've never seen. But the big one is in 1973, he made a movie called Turkish Delight. You're not ever going to ask if I saw Business is Business? Uh, Nick, have you ever seen Business is Business? No, but it would be nice to be asked. <laughs> I've never seen it either. I just assumed. I thought you were going to chime in if, you've, or if you're a big well, fan. Well, I of chimed in. Business is Business. It's a terrible title. However, there was a time period when I worked at Blockbuster where I really started to get into early Beerhoven stuff. And I have to tell you straight up, one of his best movies is the 1973 Turkish Delight, which stars Rutger Hauer and Monique van Deven, who we would also work with a lot. It's a film that's based on a novel and tells this love story about an artist and this liberal girl who comes from this insanely weird conservative background. It received an Academy award nomination in America for best foreign language film in 1974. And in 1999, the film won the Dutch golden calf, their Oscar for best Dutch film of the century. So yeah, if you've ever seen, have you seen Turkish delight, Nick?
1: I saw a different Turkish delight where it was just them making candy. <laughs> It's a little different. It's a little different. It was a lot. Is it the weird British Turkish delay where they like call it candy, but it's just like pudding or some shit? No. Oh, okay. It's actual candy. Oh, interesting. Also, pudding is what they call all sweets. I know. They don't know what it is. No, they do. Do they? Yes. They're
0: like, yeah, here, have some of this candy. And it's like a piece of bread. They
1: don't call anything candy. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a word they use.
0: Yeah, they don't. (laughs) Well, everything's like backwards. Here, have a biscuit. Because they won't even call it a cookie because it doesn't have any sugar in it. It's literally just like a piece of hard toast. It's decadent. It is. (laughs) So you have not seen Turkish delight. Not this one. No, I highly recommend it. It's interesting too, because for how crazy and violent and wild his movies would become, Turkish delight is really just a kind of fun, weird love story. And it's almost like a romantic comedy. It's a very charming kind of reminds me of Rushmore a little bit. I think definitely Wes Anderson was influenced by Turkish delight quite a bit, but after that, he made a 1975 douche film. We're going to talk about some of the douche films he made first before we get into the ones you've heard of. He made a movie called Katie Tipple that had Vodker Hauer and Vendeven. Did you see that? Yes. <laughs> what did you think of Katie Tipple? I don't like it. Yeah, I know. It didn't have the same success, and it also was just kind of... I think it was truly of that era where they were like, now make another one. Exactly like that. Yeah. And he was like, uh, and he was young. He was like, okay. And they tried and it didn't really work. I saw it on Bravo. It was boring as shit. It was, bo- it's boring. It doesn't have the charm of Turkish delight, no. which is very fun.
1: And I mean, very- I never saw Turkish delight, but it, I, this movie had no charm. It really didn't. It really, it, it was like two and a half hours. of. Uh, I it got to the point where I was just like, oh, okay, cool. A commercial. Thank God. <laughs> which is so anti him cuz you can say a
0: lot of things about paul verhoeven usually boring is not one of them i'm going to call one of his movies later very boring oh yeah i know he would get back into it when he gets old and he's like i don't even care anymore but he built his reputation the la film critics called him the one man dutch film industry he got nominated for a golden globe for his film soldier of orange starring rucker hauer and jerome Kreb. it was based on a real story about the dutch resistance in world war 2 which he sort of saw firsthand Have you ever seen Soldier of Orange?
1: No, but I've watched a lot of their national team.
0: Yeah, it's
1: true. So I've kind of seen it.
0: They're very good on offense, not great on defense. It always comes back to bite them.
1: Oh, who's that fucking one? Robin, what was his name? The bald one. It was the the bald one. That's what I'm talking about. Robin. Ooh. He was always great at scoring, but on defense he was just like, ooh. All of them. They literally were like.
0: They were like, what if maybe we played like a half court soccer? Could we maybe do that instead, where we see how many goals? What if our goals count
1: and their goals are like halfies? (laughs) Because you're going to totally score a bunch. Were, we are doing the World Cup every year. The whole team is like, uh, no ho, Hank. <laughs> it's very true. Soldier of Orange
0: is really great. Soldier of Orange is a really well-paced sort of an action movie, but it's about the Dutch resistance, and it starts to get really violent and gets really weird. As I said, it got nominated for the L.A. Film Critics Award for Best Foreign Language Film. It was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Feature it honestly started to really get him noticed in L.A. The Seattle Times, as I said, called him the best European director in the world in 1981. The L.A. Times said that he was a busy bee whose movies pollinate the festival circuit. Which I was like, "It's mm, interesting." A personal favorite of mine in 1980, Veerhoven makes the Dutch film Spetters, which is sometimes called Racers in America, with Renee Sutnjic and Rucker Hauer. You guys noticing a trend here? Oftentimes, it's compared to a movie like Saturday Night Fever but it's about motorcycle racers who are bananas. It blew my mind when I first saw it because it seemed way ahead of its time. It was a movie that's just about these punk-ass teenage kids who don't give a shit about anything other than fucking and racing and they're trying to screw each other over or they're trying to kill each other. It's really insane. Have you ever seen Spetas, Nick? No. I really think you should. I really think so. We're getting close, though, to some movies you may have seen. Also, Spetters had like characters who were homosexual characters who were, you know, weird political views. It it kind of had an element. It always reminded me a little bit of like SLC Punk, where all of a sudden characters are just talking about things that I as a teenager was like, I've never heard anybody talk about this in a movie. And um, I know it's in Dutch, but it's pretty wild. So do yourself a favor of all the Dutch movies. I think Turkish Delight and particularly Spetters is the one that I really like. After that, he then makes a movie. In 1983, which is maybe his only true horror movie, it is called The Fourth Man, starring Jerome Kreb and Renee Sutinjek It's a really weird movie. He definitely had seen a Cronenberg movie and was like, oh, shit. It follows Gerard, a bisexual writer who has a romantic encounter with a mysterious woman and subsequently becomes enamored with her and her husband. While attempting to pursue both of them, he is plagued by a series of disturbing visions, suggesting that the wife may actually be trying to murder both of them. Dude, it's fucking crazy. Have you ever seen The Fourth Man? Parts of it. Ooh. It's spooky-ooky. There's uh, Yeah, yeah, but. Definitely violent. He's already, he's like, yeah, now what if I put blood all over everything?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with his, like, this is a theme from here on out, like, yeah, it's violent, that doesn't mean it's good, and also if it's outrageous, that doesn't mean it's good either, it just means it's outrageous. Yes, that is fair, but his version
0: of hyperviolence always has a little bit of a point, like, it's not always just gratuitous, he's Mm. trying to, he's trying to shock a little bit, trying to wake you up and make you, like, pay attention and make you second guess on what characters are capable of, you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't have sometimes
1: that just like out of nowhere, Jason is just murdering all these teenagers. Like there's, uh, are you saying Jason Voorhees <laughs> murdering all those teenagers had no point? Uh, his mom was very upset. <laughs> and that also, that was just the first one.
0: If you drown in a lake crystal lake, you will come back and you will be very angry and your sense of style will involve hockey masks and machetes. I think is the point of that movie. Mm. That's what I learned
1: you mislearned <laughs> that's the whole movement unthinkable excuse me <laughs> to
0: the fourth man's credit the film was a box office hit in netherlands and it was an even more giant success in the united states where it became the highest grossing dutch film of all time so that's to this not day
1: i know saying
0: much it was the dutch entry for best foreign language film at the 56 academy awards but it was not accepted due to sexually explicit and violent images Ooh, we're the Oscars. who kept you? oh, watching blood. Uh, yeah, right. you know who did the cinematography for the fourth man, Nick? Jan de Bont. Jan de Bont. Also, just saying, there's an interesting connection of Verhoeven bringing with some of his guys from the Dutch mm-hmm. film industry. But because of that success, though, they decided that it was time in Hollywood. They were like, all right, this guy, he won't go away. He won't shut the fuck up. He keeps sending in things to the Academy Awards. Because also, after it didn't get accepted by the Academy Awards, he went on like a Dutch talk show and immediately just like talked shit about how the Oscars were a bunch of pussies. (laughs) And uh, back then, though, now you'd be like canceled. But in the 80s, they were like, all right, let's see what this asshole has. So in 1985, he was given his shot. He made a movie that I still think is one of the stranger, weirdest things. I don't even know if I liked it, but it was Orion Pictures, If you like this, go back and listen to our Orion Pictures episode. He made a 19... we don't mention it. (laughs) He made a movie called Flesh and Blood. Flesh plus blood. It is a romantic historical adventure starring Rutger Hauer. Oh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. His last Rutger Hauer movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I wonder if they had a falling out, but I don't know. I love Rutger Hauer, especially in...
1: No, he got more money for actors who weren't just Rutger Hauer. That's true.
0: But also Rutger Hauer became a bigger star and started doing other stuff.
1: After Blade Runner, he... Fucking
0: tittle out, man. Mm. Went back to Dutchland.
1: No, he was still here. He's just making The Hitcher and the that movie great. where he's like the blind samurai. Oh, yeah. What is that? Blind Justice or something? Something like that. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. About I like that, that movie a lot. It's really insane. It's really dumb. <laughs> Rutger Hauer made beautifully stupid movies until he died. That's absolutely the truth. R.I.P.
0: Have you ever seen Flesh and Blood, Nick? I've seen both of those things, just not the movie. Oh, I see what you're doing. The story is set in the year 1501 in Italy during the early modern period and follows two warring groups of mercenaries and their longstanding quarrel and the woman who gets in between them. (sighs) Its uh, tagline was a timeless adventure, a passion for wealth and power. Only the strong will survive. It's very bloody. It's very nuts. There's a ton of crazy shit in it. It was a huge box office failure. Yeah. It cost $6 million to make and it made $100,000 at the American box office. It was bad. I still sort of enjoy it as a completely insane 80s movie, but even Verhoeven said about the movie that he just couldn't do what he wanted to do. He bit off more than, I didn't mean to rhyme, but he bit off more than he could chew. He didn't realize how insane the script would be, how difficult it would be to get into Hollywood to helm a movie that gigantic with that sort of budget. And it is interesting though, because he made that movie and it was a failure and he basically got his ass kicked by Hollywood. It's very interesting that then the next time he would get a directing gig in America, he would try much harder and be much more acute and precise to what he wanted to get made and how he could make it. The next movie he makes is a movie that we have talked about and we'll start kind of going into his movies a little deeper now because they're movies that I think a lot of people have seen. And if you haven't, I think for the next couple, you should at least see the next couple of films. He made a movie called RoboCop in 1988. Nick, what do you think about RoboCop?
1: It's pretty good. I don't think Courtney J. does a really good job being RoboCop. I like Michael Keaton in it. (laughs) Uh, They're missing something human in that movie.
0: I see what you're doing. Okay. I think RoboCop is a goddamn fucking masterpiece. I think RoboCop exploded onto the scene. There's crazy stories about even it's getting made that Basil Pedrulius, one of my all-time favorites, does the music. Peter Weller is RoboCop. Lisa, like Nancy Allen, Kurtwood Smith, uh, Miguel Ferrier, Paul McCrane, Ronnie Cox. I mean, it has this crazy 80s cast where all these people have become sort of iconic because they were in RoboCop. There's wild stories about how the script got written by some dudes, particularly one guy who worked for Troma. People liked the script. The script kept getting bought, kept moving up the chain. Orion kept buying it as they bought it. They then didn't know what to do with it. They kept showing it to famous directors and asking them if they wanted to do it. They asked Steven Spielberg if he wanted to do it. There were a lot of people who read it, liked it, but literally said, I don't think this movie can be made. I don't know. His name was Edward Newmyer and Michael Minor were the two guys who wrote the script for RoboCop. And a lot of people kept turning them down and Orion had the rights to it and they wanted to make it. And to the credit of John Davidson, as well as some other producers at Orion, They just liked the script so much, and they didn't give up on it, and they believed that the script had this really great, interesting point and satire about 80s America and whether the corporations were going to take over America, and so they refused to stop, and no one would direct it. Literally, no one would direct it, so they finally said, screw it. Who could possibly even pull this off? And Veerhoven was thinking he was done. He was thinking he was done, at least in America, he was going to move back to the Netherlands and John Davidson gave him the script and they basically sat him down. And according to legend, he read like the first 20 pages of it and threw it in the trash. And then his wife took it out of the trash. She read it and said, I think you need to read this again, because if you're just going to give up on Hollywood, even though they have basically given you this movie, but also the script is pretty fucking good. And he read it and finally kind of figured out this idea. And when he came back and he pitched his idea, Paul Verhoeven supposedly at the pitch meeting said, the thing that I didn't understand was that you can try to make a machine behave like a man, but you cannot all the way make a man behave like a machine. And that's the only way we're ever going to truly be able to maybe stop the onslaught of humanity being turned into machines. And I was like, that is some heavy shit. And I don't know, man,
1: you have no takes on RoboCop. I do. I made a joke and you're just, no, I was just like, yeah, I enjoy RoboCop. Yeah. I think it's a great movie. I think RoboCop himself is whatever (laughs) Murphy as a robot. I don't care what happens to him. (laughs) The most charismatic people in the movie are the villains. Mm. Kurtwood Smith has never been as good. Ooh, guns! I like guns, Miguel guns. Herrero. Oh yeah. He wasn't that good again until fucking traffic, which was in. What about blank check? Sorry. Exactly. Thank <laughs> you for proving my point. <laughs> He's pretty good in twin peaks, but yeah, I don't care. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But like I saw Robocop much later, mm-hmm. like late twenties. I might've been, no, it was my early thirties. Yeah. Uh, it's, Pretty fucking great. None of Verhoeven's movies do I frequently re-watch. Oh, interesting. They're like standalone movies to me. They're not films
0: I can re-watch over and over. It's crazy. I guess that's the difference with me and you on, on these ones. But... Yeah,
1: I'm not a big Verhoeven fan. Oh. I appreciate a lot of what he does, but also I feel like as much as he does right, he does wrong in other directions. Interesting. So Robocop is one of the movies he mostly goes... Correct in that direction. You know, his whole Jesus allegory that he does in this, I don't care about. Yeah, that's always a little. Yeah.
0: But I think of it more as a Frankenstein allegory, and I like it as that. I like that element that the misunderstood freak who, it's as if you made Frankenstein, but Frankenstein was trying to be good. He was trying to be the good guy. and even He though, was. I know, but the world didn't want him around because he was a freak, and they were trying to destroy him. They still were trying to get it with pitchforks and shit, oh, but the pitchforks were other giant killer robots and crazy future Detroit drug dealers, even though it's filmed in Dallas. Also, I really like all the crazy satire that's in. it. It's the first one that really has crazy beer and satire in it. All of his fake commercials. And the, I buy that for a dollar that that's like what everyone watches that show on TV. It's stupid as fuck. It has a laugh track. It's Beerhoven being like this is what america likes oh yeah moron saying oh i'd buy that for a dollar you think you're so funny and and then you know what's hilarious is everyone remembers that stupid thing and they do laugh when that guy comes (laughs) they're like this guy that's a show i would watch what's your favorite kurtwood smith scene in robocop
1: i don't want to say oh no i like all of his scenes my favorite scene is when he hits the guy from Fame with a car after he turns into a toxic Avenger. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing that he says good is... Fame. That's good. Uh, yeah. Is, betches get out of here, or whatever that line is. Yeah, bitches leave. Yeah. And then he pulls out a CD, which was mind-boggling back then.
0: I know. And then he puts it into a thing, and it's a video. People were like, oh.
1: <laughs> He has a DVD 10 years before they were invented. RoboCop was in the Hero's Journey. Yeah. So he has no personality when he's a robot, which works perfectly. Works better than when it's fucking boring ass Luke Skywalker just talking about blue milk and his fucking Aunt May or whatever the fuck it was.
0: I'm gonna go to Tashi station to pick up some power converters. Ugh. And then his uncle slaps him in the face, says bigger man. Starts crying. I mean, that's that scene from Star Wars, right?
1: And then you go sweep the leg. <laughs>
0: I'm a big fan of the Kurtwood Smith scene, which I guess was the like one of the very first scenes that they filmed. And also, if you don't know this, Paul Verhoeven on set is a little bit of a maniac, but I guess him and Kurtwood Smith got along. And the very first scene they filmed, there's a scene where they arrest Clarence Boddicker, which is Kurtwood Smith's character. And he's all beat up for RoboCop. And then, you know, book him. He's a cop killer. And then <laughs> Kurtwood Smith just spits blood onto the check-in book for the cops, just says, give me my fucking phone call. And that was the first thing they filmed. And Verhoeven was like, you got to do something. You have to do something, be scarier, scarier. And Kurt Smith goes, how about I spit blood at him? And Verhoeven like, I like you. I think we're going to get along. <laughs> I appreciate that that's the very first thing. And there's an element of that, that kind of through line of that sort of, calculated madness is just in all of RoboCop but you're totally right it gets nuts also the dad from Twin Peaks is in there there's a lot of weird character actors shooting at RoboCop
1: trying to blow him up Nancy Allen has amazing hair
0: yeah I don't know any other takes on RoboCop
1: I really got RoboCop was made so that Flying Lotus can make his Captain Murphy mixtape
0: yeah. also it was one of those ones where Orion made it They wanted to make it. They thought it would be a cool sci-fi movie. It was almost a little bit of a passion project for them. They had no idea what it would do, though. They had no idea that RoboCop, when it came out at exactly that moment in the mid-80s, in 85, I think, and it would just, 88, sorry, 87, 86, 1989. 91. 93. 91,
1: 92, 93. Yes, that it, 97, 96, 97, 98. Correct. Yes. Those are the six rings.
0: Yeah. And probably two boop, more. Boop,
1: boop, 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 boop. <laughs> what time is it?
0: That uh, they had no idea that it would be such a massive, not just a massive box office hit, but a cultural phenomenon. Still to this day, obviously, you can buy a Robocop t shirt or a Robocop poster. You can buy Robocop toys. You can buy Robocop video games. You can buy. I was given a mug that says, Remember that time? that RoboCop shot that guy in the dick. You know what I'm saying? There is just, he created a iconic American character. There is him, Peter Weller. They created a character that now is just into the fabric. Also, yes, there's hilarious memes of bootleg toys. Superdurster Brian Tepp's is showing me a bootleg toy that is Robert Cop, which I appreciate. It's a different type. (laughs) Robert Cop. And, uh, so I get it. That's a different movie, but whether you like RoboCop or not, if you've never seen the original RoboCop, if you're like Nick, where maybe you accidentally saw the third one and you were like, this is trash. Second. Second or third, either way. There was the third. It's garbage. It's even worse. I don't know why I turned into Trump there for a minute. It's, it's awful. It's trash. It's garbage. But RoboCop, much of that same way of like the first Rocky is a masterpiece. It is an actual goddamn masterpiece. The rest of them after that are ridiculous nonsense. The original RoboCop is a transcendent American classic that will probably last much longer than us. People will probably talk about RoboCop the character. Who knows how fucking long. And they'll keep trying to reboot it. I
1: think we're all going to die at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what, when the comet hits the earth? No, when there's no, when we're all underwater, but it's undrinkable water. Hey, you never been to Florida before, man. I <sighs> ain't nothing but a chicken wing. I'll live off of Pepsi
0: Max. Good luck with that. <laughs> um, after that, maybe he made a movie that maybe you do like. He then would get his wish. A wish of his was his entire career. He wanted to work with a man, a man named Arnold Schwarzenegger, the greatest immigrant actor in the history of America. He would make a movie based on the novella of one of my absolute favorite writers, Mr. Philip K. Dick, a book called Memories on Wholesale. And the movie would be called Total Recall. Nick, what do you think about Total Recall?
1: Total Recall is his masterpiece. Ooh.
0: I watch Total Recall over and over again. I really do. I love Total Recall. I don't know what's popping in your mind about the Total Recall.
1: Top of my head, fucking great squibs.
0: Ooh, yeah. Oh.
1: Absolutely amazing squibs. I rewatched this yesterday for the first time in like 30 years. And I didn't realize that Cronenberg was on board for oh, most of pre-production. Yeah, that's right. And I was watching the scene where he used that dude on the escalator as a human shield oh, yeah. which is not only hilarious it's <laughs> fucking awesome <laughs> so awesome and he's just getting shot over and over by fucking um Michael Ironside yes. and all his, his fucking cronies and the squibs and the body explosion look like so many David Cronenberg movies it's so good and i was just like this is insane and then it turned out to be Cronenberg was around for most of it and then dipped out i was like well this is why cuz his guys are there But also, it's just, it's a fucking trip. Hell yeah, it is. You don't know if it's a dream. You don't know if it's real. Yeah. You don't know if Arnold's going to live or get lobotomized. You don't know. (laughs) Or is he already being lobotomized? Is this a dream? Is this the thing you paid for? It's also oddly awesome to watch him get kicked on the balls 12 dozen times. (laughs) By fucking Sharon Stone. Oh, my God. Sharon Stone in this movie. This might Everybody be,
0: in this movie. But this might be my favorite Sharon Stone movie, truly, of her being awesome, where she is his wife, who, spoiler alert, turns out to be a spy, who is his spy handler, but she also kind of has a little bit of feelings for him, but also, fuck you, like she's going to try to kill you. And then when I worked at Blockbuster, maybe I've told this story, we would be allowed to put movies on, and when- my boss would leave. We would just take the blockbuster like DVD out and put whatever movie we wanted in. And I would put Total Recall in. And always during like the scene where he's like punching Sharon Stone and she's like, fuck you. And he's like, you're a bitch. Like, someone would always be like, there's children in here. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Um, lady, just so you know, if your kid watches this, they'll turn out awesome and they'll have a podcast. I was very prescient back then. <laughs> I agree with you, man. It's completely insane. It also has Ronnie Cox in it again. Michael Ironside, as you said, Sharon Stone, Rachel Tocotin, who I don't know what else you did after that. I don't know. She kind of looks like Paul Abdul. I don't I just remember. She's been a bunch of stuff. Has she? I just don't know offhand. If you don't know what it is, it's about a dude who tries to who maybe gets his memories, but he also may have had memories implanted and he used to be a covert agent on Mars. And then he tries to get back to Mars to talk to a guy who has a weird conjoined twin growing out of his stomach that then is called Dennis Quaid and he has to start the reactor and it's Quaid start the reactor. Oh man. Also, that's interesting about the Cronenberg stuff because there's that kind of the mutants and how they look. There's a little bit of Cronenberginess to how gross and weird they are on Mars. It's completely wild. It is one of the craziest movies, definitely of the nineties. And because of RoboCop and total recall, It really started that like wave of 90s sci-fi along with James Cameron and those two movies. They made so much fucking money and it just all of a sudden was like any studio was like, we need to make any sci-fi violent movie that we can. Three boobs, two boobs, whatever boobs, doesn't matter. Put them in there. Put violence in there. Do it. Go, 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 go. And just started screaming at each other and just making violent (laughs) sci-fi in the 90s. Any other thoughts on Total Recall?
1: Uh, I would say, controversially, mm. I think it's the second best movie based on a Philip K. Dick thing. I actually... Number one being a Scanner Darkly.
0: I sort of agree with you. I really do. I mean, I have Blade Runner. I mean, the original Blade Runner. I still have to go Blade Runner 1, but I think it's right there as 2 or 3. I love Scanner Darkly too,
1: but... Scanner Darkly is the saddest and most, mm-hmm. at, like, close to actual Philip K. Dick's life. F- Scanner Darkly includes, like, the epitaph for all the people who died, and they include his name and, like, his family, like, when they saw it, like, started crying. Oh, I, bu- I like, believe that. scattered Darkly has the whole vibe that you've left your family to go leave in a house full of speed addicts. And then the closest thing after that is Total Recall. It's greater than... Everybody who's fucking in it. Yeah. Like, it transcends everything they've done, and it's just this air of mystery. It's got this air of, like, it doesn't even seem like sci-fi. It just seems like this is what's happening. This is real. You care what happens to these people so much that, like, when the movie's over, you just keep thinking about what happened, what's real, and then... Also, just Arnold's eyes bulging out his fucking head. Iconic. Exactly.
0: (laughs) A couple of little fun facts. It was made by Coralco Pictures. Another one we should probably do one day that was run by the Menendez brothers' (laughs) dad. Um, But even more interesting, Coralco, because of the success of this movie, then kind of took that money and went to James Cameron and got T2 made because they were like, Now's the time, and we got the cash. We should go. So, if Total Recall is not as successful for Coralco, who knows if T two really gets made or gets made at the same time? So, there's a little bit of that kind of back and forth. Also, I love the Jerry Goldsmith score is very underrated. I really like how kind of spooky and marzy it is, and it has this.
1: Yeah, nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, right.
0: But Jerry Goldsmith, he has good stuff, but he's not one of these names who automatically pops up as like the best composers in Hollywood. I really, I think he is a composer is more underrated, I suppose I should say than. You're right, this got nominated for Best Music. Dan O'Bannon wrote this, and Dan O'Bannon was a writer for... He worked at Lucasfilm as kind of a conceptual writer, and then he wrote like heavy metal, and he wrote a lot of sci-fi stuff. He wrote Alien. He wrote Alien, yeah, absolutely. And Dan O'Bannon is... Uh, really- he wrote
1: this in the 70s, but knew they didn't have the budget to make it, so yeah. then once he became successful after Alien and his other things he was able to get this movie made yeah and the adaptation of it yeah it cuts
0: away a lot of the as nick was talking about the kind of philip k dick sort of poeticness that he has but it kept a lot of the craziness and a lot of the really psychedelia of his stuff and i i think veerhoven's direction in this is the tightest maybe this is the tightest of any of paul veerhoven's direction where it doesn't really fly off the handle at any point it's very concise it keeps the pace going. You're always figuring out, as Nick said, there's a lot of mystery, a lot of interesting questions. The first act twist, the second act twist, the first act twist where you find out that he may have been a secret agent. And then that scene where he shoots the thing into his nose to pull the tracker out of his brain that after a video of him told him to do it. Hey, if you're seeing this, it's me, it's you. Like (laughs) it's, one of my favorite Arnold's I think Arnold is really good in it. I think him and Verhoeven actually do work really well together after this, him and Arnold for years, tried to get this movie made that they wrote together about the crusades that they wanted to make that went on for like 20 years. They kept trying to get it made and it kept getting close and kept getting greenlit, but then would fall apart for whatever reason. And it only finally got taken down in like 2012, you know, as like a possibility of making that movie. So yeah, I love total recall. And once again, if you've never seen Total Recall, you should do that. After that, he would do another of his biggest successes back to back to back, making a lot of money for TriStar Pictures and Coralco. In 1992, he made the neo-noir erotic thriller directed by, of course, Mr. Paul Beerhoven and written by Joe Esterhaus. It is called Basic Instinct, as Nick talked about. Nick, just general thoughts about Basic
1: Instinct. Basic Instinct is, how do I put this nicely? It is a C-movie plot Hmm. (laughs) shot like a soft porn that shows genitals. Yes. (laughs) But because you have Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone and Newman from Seinfeld. (laughs) Don't forget Janine Triplehorn. And Janine Triplehorn. And Jan shooting his last movie with Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. And Paul Verhoeven, he is a great film director. Yes. His movies lack a lot of character elements, yeah. to put it nicely. In a Paul Verhoeven movie, if you're a psychotic bisexual woman, that's it. You're not going to do anything else. <laughs> She's also a writer. She's, She's also a writer. That's the most interesting part about her mm-hmm. is like her writing thing and this and like how she got away from all her dirty past. It's like, oh well, what about that? No, no, okay. And then you have Michael Douglas who plays the most Michael Douglas character of all. <laughs> he's such an asshole. He drives his wife to suicide, and then <laughs> he sh- about that. and then he's so coked up afterwards, he shoots a kid and a mom. <laughs> On accident, on accident, but he's just still running around like a fucking crazy asshole. Mm-hmm. And then also, Gene Triplehorn's character like has a bunch of fucking like psychological problems, and her husband dies mysteriously, and this and that. And it's like, oh, so you're like the top San Francisco psychiatrist for the police, but you're also fucking its most dangerous detective. <laughs> You were definitely super dangerous. Like, what the fuck? This movie, also, this entire movie skips over DNA. Like, the only- like the OJ case. I was about to say, the only 90s case to ignore DNA more than that was the OJ case. If you just go by DNA evidence, you could probably catch Sharon Stone. But, because they got to fill two hours in between, you know, vagina shots and fucking Michael Douglas just- ripping somebody's clothes off <laughs> is like, well, I guess we'll solve this the old fashioned way. i about being horned up. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh so God. you take this fucking basic pancake mix <laughs> that you get on everything that's on Showtime and Cinemax in the nineties after 11 o'clock. But you give it to fucking Wolfgang Puck, and he's like, "Oh, look, I made some pancake." And you're like, "Oh, this is pretty good." This actually, actually, all right, yeah, yeah I'll, eat, I'll this. eat it. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like eleven dollars. It's nineteen ninety two. I like your comparison of Paul
0: Verhoeven to Wolfgang Puck.
1: Yeah, it's so good. Just start random yelling on ABC. Are you trying it's to steal my movie? You trying to fuck me? You trying to fuck my movie out from under me? <laughs>
0: Also, if you don't know, Paul Verhoeven very classically is notorious for being super paranoid about the studios trying to, quote, unquote, fuck him or steal his movie out from under him. Which he'll start just screaming about. You know, there's occasionally they should have. Well, that's true. But I'll give him credit of like, I don't know. Does it have to be so hyper violent? He's like, you are a bunch of cowards and idiots. Like, (laughs) and at least in the time he was correct back then. I don't know if it would really fly now. And agreeing with you. That Paul Verhoeven, maybe maybe is not that great of a film director, but he is truly an auteur. Paul Verhoeven movies are Paul Verhoeven movies, and yeah. they have. If you like the Paul Verhoevenness, they are certainly Paul Verhoeven-y. They are crazy pants. And yes, as Nick was saying, it is about a police detective who starts investigating the brutal murder of a wealthy rock star, and who murdered him was it Sharon Stone or his sort of sweethearted, adorable faced like pushover girlfriend Janine Triplehorn and it has that 90s neo-noir thing where it's like who did it I don't know it's like who do you think did it like who's on the poster <laughs> pretty sure it's Sharon Stone and also as we said the very famous scene in which she unfolds her legs and for a split second you see Sharon Stone's vagina and if you were alive for this there were protests there were protests of this movie because a woman's vagina got shown for a split second. That's they how were, oppressed. Those Amer-
1: were the religious ones. I
0: know, but that's there how were, were other
1: pre- protests of this movie. <laughs>
0: we're
1: not talking about just
0: mild protests. I'm talking about people actually with <laughs> Bonjour. But yes, you are correct. And once again he works with Jerry Goldsmith, did the music, pretty decent. John DeBont, just kicking ass as a cinematographer, terrible as a director. But kick ass as a cinematographer, and uh, once again, budget 49 million, worldwide box office 475
1: million dollars. So, also, ah. of that 49 million dollars, yeah. six of it went to sleaze boy Joel Esser Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, he wrote it, he wrote it, but like there was a bidding war for this fucking movie. Oh, yeah, and then they're like, we'll give you three million dollars now and another 2.9 when it goes into production. Who in the fuck is going to give? <laughs>
0: Ugh, People wanted it, man. And once again, Veerhoven really jumpstarting a big 90s genre that would run throughout the 90s into the early 2000s. The sexy movie thriller. Oh, I'm,
1: I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure Color of Night came out the year before. Yeah. <laughs> Where well, you got to see. Bruce Willis' dick. <laughs> and him. Which is hilarious because he still wore a toupee during it.
0: And him and Sam from Quantum Leap are cool psychiatrists in that movie.
1: That is literally what that movie is. That about. are fucking their patients. Yeah.
0: Who very clearly is a woman doing a very weird version of like the Eddie Murphy thing where she plays like nine different characters and is into having sex with Bruce Willis. I'm not entirely sure what was going on. And it was a very strange movie. Yeah. My take on. Basic Instinct. I'll say this of the Paul Verhoeven movies. I like to watch RoboCop. I like to watch Total Recall. I like to watch one of the next ones we're going to talk about a lot. But I've seen Basic Instinct like twice. I watched it again for this. I watched it in the 90s when I rented it.
1: I don't know. It's dumb. But here's the thing. (laughs) I have not rewatched it. It's very memorable. I could probably remember most of the fucking movie. I agree with that. Which is
0: insane. I remember those last sequences. I forgot my
1: cousin's name the last time I saw him. (laughs) Mostly because I just wanted to call him a fucking asshole. (laughs) Well, you did remember his name. Yeah. You hear me, David? You hear this? You piece of
0: shit. (laughs) Just kidding. It was Mark. The New York Times said that Basic Instinct transfers Mr. Beerhoven's flair for action-oriented material to the realm of Hitchcockian intrigue. And the results are visceral, effective, even when they don't make any sense.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Ebrey didn't feel the same way
0: about it. I feel like that's a pretty fair description of it. It's memorable as fuck. It's Paul
1: Verhoeven getting wild style. It's Paul Verhoeven's sexy thriller. I remember the way it looks. I remember the plot by reading online. Because like it's, there's a lot of random memories of this film. Nothing like stands out plot-wise. It's like, oh, we know who fucking did it. He's going to keep throwing all these fucking like... Red herrings. Red herrings at
0: us. (laughs) Ebert's, uh, one of his descriptions was, the film is like a crossword puzzle. It keeps your interest until you solve it. Then it's just a worthless scrap with the spaces
1: filled in. Yeah. (laughs) So the last half hour that movie was useless.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But it's the third hit in a row for Mr. Verhoeven. Third big hit, culturally changing hit.
1: You know what you're due for after three big hits? Is maybe some sort of fail. I think I know. A fail that destroys Carolico, whatever the fuck
0: it is. Uh yeah. So after that, in 1995, he takes three years to make an opus. And everyone was like, oh, when is Jesse Spano from Saved by the Bell going to make a movie? Oh, I can't wait. Oh, please. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. No one ever said that. And uh, in 1995, he made a film called Showgirls. Starring Elizabeth Berkley, Kyle MacLachlan. What are you doing, Kyle MacLachlan? Gina Gershon, who's bad. I'm bad. I'm Gina Gershon. I'm bad. Like, that's my impression of Gina Gershon in every movie she's in. It is about a street smart drifter who ventures to Las Vegas and climbs the CD
1: hierarchy from stripper I to, right there. to showgirl. I rewatched this this week. Okay. <laughs> at <laughs> Regale no point, us. At no point is she street smart. <laughs> she does
0: ninja kick a guy at one point.
1: Yeah, but it's not worth anything.
0: She also fucks fucking Paul Atreides in a pool like no one has ever fucked anyone in the history of time, like some sort of weird water mongoose or something. I don't know what is happening. <laughs> you ever see those like nature things of like a mongoose and a snake like in water? And It's just like yeah. sh- and like water's just going everywhere, and you're just
1: like sh- sh- like what the fuck is happening? <laughs> it was like watching one of those animatronic bears from Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> try to ride a bike in the water. This <laughs> is the dumbest fucking. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. Do it. Showgirls has a reputation. It does. And in the last 5 or so years, it's turned into something else. Yes. Like a cult movie, this camp classic people call it, like it has like a fucking life of its own now. It really does. These people are stupid. This movie has been giving way more fucking credit than it ever deserves. This is worse than anyone remembers. The <laughs> acting in this, I saw a porno movie two weeks ago <laughs> that I watched the whole fucking thing. Okay. I got 40 minutes into this movie, and then I had to stop for two days. This movie is worse than porno acting. It is absolutely fucking atrocious. <laughs> Elizabeth Berkeley's career Died yeah. Faster than enter Princess Santa joke here. But, <laughs> and it's because of Paul Verhoeven. Because he kept telling her, go bigger, go more crazy. Like, Get crazier. So she's waving her arms. Get crazier. Yeah, she's waving her arms like a mongoose getting fucked by a bike or a snake or whatever you said. <laughs> In every scene, she is the Al Pacino of strippers. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There's no coming back from that. No, This is so bad. This movie's so bad, they convinced Kyle MacLachlan to forget how to act. (laughs) There was a rumor that Kyle MacLachlan had to address that he walked out of the premiere. And he goes, oh, no, I didn't leave. I suffer for two hours through that movie like everybody else at the premiere. (laughs) And then they were talking to somebody. I think it it was Kyle MacLachlan again. He's like, you watch that first scene. and like, yeah, that's really bad. The first scene is her hitchhiking and getting in the car with some guy. He looks like an actor from a porno movie, but if he was in that Primus video where all the people have the giant plastic faces, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do, I know. And he's like, so, and then he like drives off the road, drives in front of a semi-truck, and Elizabeth is like, I'm going to Vegas. My name's this. And then she I just know. drives to this fucking dude, and then he steals all her shit. <laughs> And it just keeps going like it It just. Her name is Nomi Malone. Her name is who gives a fuck. (laughs) So Kyle McLaughlin's like, oh yeah, it's a really bad first scene. The rest of the movie be better. He goes, all right. The next scene will be better. The next scene will be better. And then he's like, I'm trapped in this theater. I'm trapped here. This movie is not camp. This movie is not satire. No. This movie is like. The Titanic. (laughs) But not the movie. Yeah, but with pasties (laughs) instead of a fucking iceberg. It's terrible. Yeah, I appreciate it. And like, as much as it's supposed to be like some camp classic now and all this, there's one good character in this, and she is physically and sexually assaulted to the point where she's carried out on a fucking stretcher. Even Paul Verhoeven's like, yeah. My closest associates and comrades were like, you know, you kind of killed the vibe with that pole. You
0: ruined the movie. <laughs> and I was like, okay, pal. Why don't you get over it, fun boys? Like, yeah, that's a very Paul Verhoeven, like, whatever. I don't know. No, I mean, he agreed to it. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, he was like, yeah, this is a fail. Like, yeah. I, Verhoeven even talked about how he was like, I
1: don't know. It just got out of control. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. It's called cocaine. I mean, I get it. Like. And then Elizabeth Berkey got paid $100,000 for this movie.
0: That's crazy. It was, still to this day, the only NC-17 film with a wide American release, right? It was released in, like, every theater with an NC-17. And when it came out, it was made for $45 million, and it made, at the box office, just $37 million. However, what's crazy about this and why he was allowed to make the next movie was because when it came out on video, it made $100 million for... MGM video so there was an element of a lot of pervs who are like I can't go see that in the theater I really can't no people will know they'll know that I did that however I can rent this at Blockbuster
1: <laughs> no <laughs> covertly no no no, no. <laughs> all those pervs are like well I can't jerk off in the theater <laughs> I'll end up like Paul Rubin but I'm not famous so I'll just get stuck in jail and then I was like well my parents are gone for the weekend yep yep I'm 41 <laughs> I would have rent this movie and as a teenage perp, I literally was like, I have to see this movie.
0: And as you said, I was like, I have to, I have to. And then literally me and my buddy rented it and we watched it. And I was like, oh man, this is gonna be too sexy to handle. And then I watched it and I was like, what the fuck am I watching? It's like, so
1: bad. This I remember is, I don't
0: remember, I didn't get a boner one time. I was
1: like, no, what, is, what I've, is happening? I've I like, have never jerked off of this movie. <laughs> i jerked off to fucking uh oh, Back boy. to the Future. <laughs> hey man, I get it. <laughs> He had a sexy mom, Mom well, fuck him. Dude, uh Leah Thompson is a very
0: Thompson, I find yeah. Leah Thompson in Back to the Future way sexier than anything that happened in Showgirls. So and it's, it's so bad. It's very bad. And it's very long too. It's like three hours long. <sighs> it's preposterously long. It doesn't make any sense. I apologize to my mom, who actually I think likes this movie. <laughs> I remember distinctly, my mom like and me randomly, she was watching it on like HBO and I started it was on watch- showtime. Yeah, so, yeah, and and uh, she was watching it. She's like, have you seen this movie? It's kind of good. And I was like, I don't know.
1: How high are you? Also, yeah. this has to be pointed out. She goes from back east mm-hmm. to Vegas to be a dancer. Uh-huh. A dancer. This movie has the worst dancing in it oh, I've yeah. ever fucking ever seen. seen. Ever. Yeah. This it's like, they didn't even have a choreographer. There was just a bag of cocaine. Everyone's like, all right, now do this. And everyone followed like whoever was the least high also was in a, the room.
0: I was telling you the other day, it's about that weird transition period of Vegas too, where it was like the nineties. So it had gone from kind of classic mobster Vegas and it hadn't quite gotten to like two thousands lady Gaga, like, you know, crazy shows, second Hollywood Vegas, So literally those outfits, they put them in are what Robert De Niro's character from casino would think is hot, where there's like chicks wearing those horrible high bikinis and these goofy helmets with feathers on their head. And yeah, their boobs are out, but somehow that makes it less sexy or like, why is this happening? What show is this? Why would you go to see a show where topless women with giant feather helmets badly dance like what is cool about that even as a kid I was like I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I was like show what kind of fucking show is this what are you talking about people pay money to see this this is what people (laughs) paid money to see they clearly didn't until it was on VHS yeah yes I don't know any other takes on showgirls just feel bad (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point okay however because of the success of it on VHS And also because, you know, it's a fail. But before that, he had made three huge mega hits.
1: Also, real fast. Mm -hmm. He's very good at setting up endings. Mm. Because in Total Recall, there's that part where they're about to give him the brain scope and the one dude's... huh. Blue Sky on Mars, that's a new one. Mm. And then it ends with Blue Sky on Mars. Mm-hmm. And then uh, something basic instinct went the ending. Yeah. And then in this, she's running up the stairs. She's with her fucking friend, who's the only good character. Every character in Showgirls is a piece of shit. And she's I'm like, Gina Gershon, I'm a bitch. <sighs> and you can't even dance, bitch. Like, that's literally, that's, yeah. Uh, that may even be in She just not dance either. She just squirmed. Um, <laughs> and then. Nomi goes with her roommate to go ogle Gina Gershon in her show. And they're running up the stairs she's like, be careful. And then someone's like, yeah, could you imagine if somebody fell down these stairs? And then the movie, Nomi becomes the head of the show because she shoves Gina Gershon <laughs> down those part. stairs. It's the best part of the movie. The most- and she's like, ah, Nancy Kerrigan or whatever. I don't remember what the fuck she says. <laughs> so he's very good at calling things out, and he does the same thing with Starship Troopers. Yes, which is the next,
0: That's a good transition because
1: the next one is a movie
0: I actually, I really enjoyed. I saw it in the theater. It is the 1997 Starship Troopers written again by Ed Neumeier who wrote Robocop. Uh, It's an adaptation of the Robert Heinlein novel, which is very different then, but not, at least he goes back to satire, and the novel is super satire. It is a full-on satirization of the militarization of America, the weird, lust and pomp and circumstance of the nonsense of like military. And, and yet it is set about bugs fighting humans. And it is completely insane. It stars Casper Van Dien, RIP, his career, Dina Meyer, who actually like, first
1: of all, Casper Van Dien was in shark zone. (laughs) You son of a bitch. Um, We rented a blockbuster. I kind of like Dina Meyer.
0: She's in some stuff. Denise Richards, the redhead. Yeah. Yeah. Jake Busey and Michael Ironside, Patrick Muldoon. And weirdly, the most successful out of all of them is Doogie Hauser.
1: Doogie Hauser isn't it? Neil Patrick Harris. You know, between this and uh, Total Recall, I feel like he really hated Michael Ironside's limbs. Oh, yeah. He loves Michael Ironside, like getting like limbs blown yeah. off and... Oh, I love Michael
0: Ironside in this, though, where he's their teacher, and then later at the battle, he's there, and he's, like, kick-ass, and they're like, hey, it's you, teach, and he's like, shut the fuck up. Like, I was like, yeah. it goes back to a sort of RoboCop element. He's like, all right, fine, that screwed up, showgirls. I was cooked out of my head. I got to relax. Okay, blah, 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 can't do this. I have to actually pay attention now and actually make this movie. I fucked up. It's not going to kick me out of Hollywood. So he gets another shot. He makes Starship Troopers. I love that it almost, in a way, not lampoons, but in a way, takes the genre that he helped create the hyper violent action sci-fi movie and kind of takes a little twist, takes a little tilt on it. He tilts it right where you think when you first start watching it, he takes this kind of cinematic edge to his directing in which it's going to be like these other goofy sci-fi movies that have come out, Johnny Mnemonic and these kind of cheesy, goofy sci-fi nineties movies. And then as the movie starts to go along, you're like, wait a minute. What's happening? And then all of a sudden there is just hyperviolence, just wild ass hyperviolence. And once again, I feel like very precise, more than you would possibly expect of humans fighting bugs. It's crazy. The bug scenes, which are CGI, still look really good because he did the thing like with Jurassic Park where he combined practical with the CGI so when the bug like stabs its arm into a guy's arm, there's a big fake bug arm that goes into a guy's arm and it explains like, ah, he's screaming and it becomes like, you know, saving private Ryan, but with giant bugs. And you're like, whoa, I was not expecting a movie with Kasper Van Dien to be this well, like executed and really kind of intense at certain points. And There's a decent little romantic element. And I love the way that these characters, because the whole movie sort of takes place during an entire war, even though it's a really kind of tight hour and a half. So these characters in each act are very different. In the beginning, they're in high school. In the middle, they're just starting to become soldiers. And at the end, they're all sort of grizzled weirdos who have gone in different directions in the space army. I really like Starship Troopers. And once again, the squibs, man, the squibs, just
1: primo, primo squibs. I don't know. What do you think of uh, Starship Troopers, Nick? First of all, mm-hmm. none of us knew Casper Van Dien. <laughs> I was trying to think. This is, this is a retroactive thought you're having. There was another. Because when he came out in this, it's like, oh, who's this fucking blonde-headed moron? He was it's in like, like those surf
0: movies. He was in that blue curl or something. I don't know. He had been in a couple of movies that I had seen that were. You made up a title right now. I swear he was in something. Hold on.
1: Also, I don't know anyone who saw the trailer for this is like, oh, no, the Johnny Mononic, because you know why? No one had seen Donnie Manonik. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Put your hand up, Ryan. (laughs) Get on a microphone. (laughs) I wanted to see this movie because I liked all those 50s movies about the giant bugs, especially Them. Them was my favorite, mostly just because the first time I saw Them, I picked up my cat's food because I saw an ant, and I picked it up, and there's a bunch of ants underneath. Mm. And then there's that scene where the little girl goes, it's them! And I was like, whoa. I was like, oh, this isn't cool, though. There's ants in the house. But... Um, and apparently they love cat food. They did. Paul Verhoeven, don't know if he hates America, but his films hate America. He hates militarization, and America loves militarization. Well, also, Showgirls is basically him saying how much he hates America and hates money. Hmm. He said so himself. Okay, that's interesting. So, like, he just wants, like, Vegas is the heart of America. It's the worst place you can go. That's why the person who saves Nomi, the only good person in America, suffers the most. Yeah. So, he definitely hates American yeah. military.
0: Robocop is about the militarization. Yeah. So, Total Recall is about militarization. It's about,
1: yeah. Yeah. Like, I wish there was military. And show girls, I wish there would have <laughs> the shut down shows. all of the fucking strip clubs. Um, <laughs> but no, this is a great satire. And that's the brilliance of Starship Troopers, where if you are a simple minded moron who wants to watch Denise Richards shoot bugs, you get to watch Denise Richards shoot bugs. I get stabbed by a bug. And get stabbed by a bug. I mean, you make a big deal about that. Most of those fuckers are getting ripped in half by oh, bugs. tails. Oh, dude, it's wild style. But, like, if you're watching, you're like, oh, he's calling everybody a fascist. Yeah. The only good bug is a dead bug. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of bug it is or what they're doing. They got to die. Right. Well, you realize at the end when your protagonists
0: come out and Doogie Howser is dressed in a full SS uniform. Oh yeah. They're
1: the baddies. And that
0: the bugs are maybe the good guys. And they're now have captured the bug brain, which is one of the crazier looking sets I've ever seen in Hollywood. And they're like jabbing it in the brain to know what it knows. And Doogie Howser is psychic and talking to it. And
1: yeah, (laughs) Yeah. the bugs are just bugs. Yeah. The soldiers become full on fascists. Like you're just fighting nature. The bugs. No, are like, it's kind of great because uh, oh, what was that terrible Will Smith zombie movie? I am Legend. I am Legend. That was the original ending of I am Legend, but they mm-hmm. decided to make the zombies the bad guys. And I know that's maybe if they hadn't, he wouldn't have slapped Martin. Uh, the
0: better version is actually the original one with rock. Charlton Heston, the Omega Man, where you find out that the mutants or whatever are like cooler. Yeah, <laughs> they're like,
1: why are you trying to kill us, you dick? Everybody is cooler than Charlton Heston. <laughs> From my good dead dads. Now get over here, ape woman. I'm going to kiss you on the mouth. Oh, I,
0: I, I, I love living in this planet of the apes.
1: Roll credits.
0: <laughs> Weirdly. Of all of them, I think it's one of Verhoeven's things where he truly nailed it. He nailed it. He hit it perfect. It could have gone either direction and failed. It could have gotten stupider. It could have gotten more violent. It could have gone off the rails. And he kept that tightrope going and really made something very special that at the time was not a huge, huge success like his other stuff, but got better critical response than a lot of his movies and... For the nerds like me who saw it in the theater when we were teenagers and then kind of just kept going back and revisiting, it's definitely one of those cult classics where you're like, have you seen Starship Troopers? And people are like, I fucking love Starship Troopers. If you've never seen it, it has that element. It's called Starship Troopers. It even has a stupid title. You know what I'm saying? But it is better than that. It is so much better than that. Any other takes before we move out of, in my opinion, what is the the sort of golden age of his... Four great successes into some other stuff.
1: You mean the movies we've seen? <laughs> well, we've seen the next one. Maybe we should go to that. I uh, know. If you're going to watch Starship Troopers, just remember, he had nothing to do with the sequels. Oh, no. Any just of this walk away.
0: Only Total Recall, I think, is the only... And Showgirl... No, Showgirl's had a sequel. Total Recall, I think, is the only of his movies that didn't have a sequel that... All of that, you know, obviously RoboCop had dumb sequels and Starship Troopers had terrible sequels and even fucking Basic Instinct had a terrible sequel.
1: Fourteen years later.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Of his big gems, it's he had nothing to do with any of the sequels to anything. <laughs> he refused to do he' He's like, no, you get away from me. In 2000, he f- worked with the man that everyone has worked with. Strangely, maybe one of the best and worst actors in the history of Hollywood. He makes a movie with Kevin Bacon. It is called Hollow Man, about a man who is invisible, not hollow. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it also stars some big dogs. It also has Elizabeth Shue and Josh Brolin. And yeah, uh, <laughs> and a bunch of great character actors of the 90s Kim Dickens, Greg Grunberg. Yeah, so it's inspired by the H.G. Wells novel, The Invisible Man, about a scientist who. Spoiler alert, gets invisible. And then, because he's invisible, gets nuts. (laughs) And does other stuff. I don't know. It got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects.
1: It lost to Gladiator.
0: Nick, what do you think about Hollow Man?
1: I hate it. It's so stupid. (laughs) Like, they have really good special effects. I sat through this whole movie, and it just turns out that as soon as Kevin Bacon gets... Invisible, he wants to feel up Kim Dickens, watch some other woman take a shower, and then kill Josh Brolin. I mean, I get it. (laughs) The Josh Brolin one. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, stick to the Josh Brolin one.
0: No, that's oh, that's more I was going for. The yeah. He's very Josh Brolin is a great dick in it. Josh Brolin's a great actor. He really is. And him as the like cool guy scientist who's constantly giving him shit and being like, You're a little wiener. Like, why are you such a little wiener all the time? And, and he's like, you just wait until I get invisible, Thanos. I'm going to teach you a lesson. And then he does, Nick. He teaches Josh Brolin a lesson that I guess you don't mess with invisible people. I don't know. I, Dude, as you said, it's real stupid. It's one of those ones where even the suspension of disbelief of like, okay, someone invented a serum that turns you invisible. But they try to have all this fake science and fake nonsense and bad CGI computer shit. That it, it is one of those movies that I've definitely talked about on the show before, which it drives me insane. Of just in the 90s, someone's like, hold on a second. I have to hack the mainframe. Type, 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 type. I did it. Like, what are you talking about? That's not how computers work. What? Really? Like, how disconnected are you from computers? <laughs> like, even if you, there's a lot more mouse movement. You just, all right, then I go into systems and then systems intel. No, it's not that one. Oh, there's the code. Okay, hold on a second. I'll well, try this. No, it didn't work. Well, I'll try that. Like, <laughs> but that's not how they do it. It's way stupider. There's... Yeah, that's not... Cin- ta- 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 that's not cinematic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never with computers is a cinematic unless you're a master like David Fincher and it's really about how a little weird perv boy accidentally broke the code for how humans behave on the internet and took over our entire fucking lives. And... Maybe created an insurrection against America. Not exactly his fault, but he didn't exactly stop it either. Yeah, so you're saying Hollow Man's good. You like Hollow Man. <laughs> the look that Nick is giving me right now is very angry. I don't even remember how Hollow Man ends. Super Brian Temps, you know how Hollow Man ends? He dies. He dies. Josh Brolin dies? I don't know. I don't remember.
1: Elizabeth Shue dies? No, Elizabeth Shue makes it. Yeah. Elizabeth Shue kills yeah, Kevin Bacon. She's Final Girl. Got it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a bummer. It made money. It cost $90 million to make. It made $250 million at the box office. So Hollow Man made money. That's the dumbest thing you've we've heard all night. <laughs> but after that, though, Verhoeven, I think himself kind of was like, eh, okay, okay. He took a little break, moved back to the Netherlands for a little while. And in 2006, in my opinion, although I can't, in my rule, I can't really talk shit about the last couple of movies because I have not seen them. But in 2006, he made a movie called Black Book that was very closely sort of about his memories of crazy shit that happened in the Netherlands during World War II. It stars a bunch of Dutch actors again: Carice Van Houten, Van Houten, Sebastian Koch, Thomas Hoffman, and Helena Reijn. Whenever Dutch people have that R E I J N thing, I don't know. Rijn, Rijn, Rijn? Okay, I apologize. Dutch people who are listening, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. It's about a Jewish woman in the Netherlands who becomes a spy for the resistance during World War II after a tragedy befalls her. And then she sort of starts to get indoctrinated with the Nazis because she's such a good spy. It's very weird, very cool. It reminds – it's kind of a horror movie, actually. I really liked Black Book. What did you think of Black Book, Nick? I hadn't seen that one. It's worth it. It won the Venice Film Festival – It got nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. It's worth a watch. I'll put it that way. And also, it's pretty spooky. It's a spooky movie. It's when you think about a spy World War II Nazi movie, you're thinking that it's going to be like horrifying or dumb. And really, it just is more spooky. It's a spooky, well-made. He went back to his kind of roots of how his early Dutch movies were, where it's just kind of fun and weird. Maybe not fun's a bad word, but it's more poetic and strange. It's got a very flowy sort of pacing to it it won the BAFTA for best film for foreign language it won the Dutch best film in 2007 so it's worth a watch it's absolutely worth a watch I highly recommend of the last three movies I'm just gonna to toss these out Eric and you're gonna tell me if you've seen any of them 2012 he made a movie called tricked no 2016
1: he made a movie called L I started watching it for this what'd you think huge misfire mm-hmm even he doesn't know what it is. Yeah. Also- because it was described by critics who saw it as a paraphrasing sexual assault comedy. Oof. At which point he said it is not that. <laughs> he also said it is not a sexual assault revenge film. He calls it a just a drama. Hmm. Which. Yeah. I only watched like a half this less than half. Mm-hmm. Like totally just completely wrong. That's, it has no idea what it's doing. I know. What's weird enough is his, also is the only movies ever made in French.
0: Yeah, he started to have to make French because the next one's French too. the The last one, yeah. Bene, Benedetta, about which was based on a novel, which was actually called the novel. I just kind of love this. The novel is called Amadis Axe, The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance Italy, which maybe sounds better in French. I don't know, but yeah, he had to go to France. Pathé started making his movies; they're very French. Yeah. I feel like he's wine drunk now. It's the thing, you know. Like, what happened to Coppola? Like, stopped doing coke, and then started doing wine drunks. And wine drunks are sloppy. Well,
1: Coppola (laughs) had so many heart attacks, he needs to be wine drunk just to keep his blood thin. (laughs) Also, he at least
0: passed off the torch to his kid. He's like, sort of ghost produce your movies. Like, you're me now. You have talent. You're awesome. You're the man now, dog. (laughs) He said that to Sophia. You're the man now. (laughs) You're me now. Shut up, Dad. You're wine drunk. Well, I'm not wine drunk. You're drinking... Wine out of a coke can. Well, it's a good idea. Did you see Bernadetta?
1: I really wanted to try to watch all the Verhoeven movies, and I think just,
0: you went the wrong direction a little bit. I highly recommend the Dutch ones. You can't rent those. I know it's a pain in the ass, isn't
1: it? I watch what I can get, and yeah. what I watched. It just slowed me down. I, I couldn't do it. I know. Because you picked the
0: slowest, dumbest one, too. Katie Trappel is just ugh. But Spetters and Turkish
1: Delight, that's pretty much it. Those are available.
0: I know. What the hell? Come on, Netherlands. If you're listening to this, Netherlands film groups. Nobody
1: in, the, Netherlands isn't in Ohio, so no <laughs> one's listening.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. Is there a Netherlands, Ohio? There might be. There's a Holland, Michigan. Is that where all our listeners are in Ohio? And Chicago columbus ohio Columbus is in ohio Brian. This is a shout out to columbus ohio and dublin ohio. shout out to dublin as well i love you guys okay so on this one because paul has a very concise career we're gonna do one wall and one dumpster so nick if you had to choose let's do that you want to do the dumpster first i you know it's showgirls <laughs> i love it i love it so much yeah showgirls sucks It's a piece of shit. I know. I know. And you know, what's funny though, is that the only thing I'll give Showgirls is that weirdly because it's Paul Verhoeven and because he's such a nut bar, it's sort of iconic. It's iconic and it suck. You know what I mean? It's the most Paul Verhoeven movie there is. That's pretty mean, but it's accurate. I'd strongly disagree, but uh, it's certainly insane. And Paul is, if you're listening, Paul, I apologize. And I think you might admit this just, you know, occasionally you, you like to fly off the handle a little bit. And that's part of why your movies are fun. It's because just where you think this movie is going to go, how you think it's going to go? It is not. It is not going to go that way. <laughs> it's going to go very differently. It's going to go very strange. Yeah, mine, I think, if you're doing that one, I'm going to put Hollow Man. Because, man, it they gave him money. It's the Invisible Man. He has good actors in it. It could have been good. It could have been good. But it failed. It just uh, it hollowed out. You like that? You like what I did there? Is no, it? no, no one does. It's time for the blockbuster film school wall. All right, Nick. What if uh, Total Recall? Oh yeah, I love it. This whole section's a little redundant. Start prime. the reactor. Start the reactor. Oh man, so
1: good. So,
0: what's your favorite scene in Total Recall?
1: I love the part where. The head explodes but i think i honestly the part where the dude from recall like has himself sent into his brain yeah and tells arnold oh yeah the rest of the movie how the third act's gonna play out and then arnold fucking blows his brains out and spits the red pill on him and then the rest of the movie is literally what the guy said true but the guy did have the sweat dripped on his face
0: so how can he be a a hologram if he's sweating. It's not a hologram. He's or, a, he's in a dream. Sure, but a guy in a dream would sweat with a gun up against him? That's weird. I love that. I love the true Philip K. Dickness of it, like, that you never know. You never know if it's the fantasy or not. It
1: is what he signed know, up for- You know how you know it's a fantasy? Because hmm. the thing that he pulls out of his nose is metal, and it's not in the x-ray. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, but it could be plastic. It kind of looks plastic. Sure. Fine. <laughs> that scene though, that great scene where he goes into the metal detector, but it looks like skeletons, and then he turns when the gun inside of him goes off and then he pulls the lady's head off and it like time for a surprise. Mm-hmm. Like and it spreads apart and it's Arnold's face underneath. It's so cool. It's such some of the stuff in that movie is so cool looking. It's Rob Botton,
1: the guy who did the special effects for the thing.
0: God, it's so good. Some of those special effects are just absolutely gorgeous.
1: Also, Total Recall is the last Hollywood movie who really used miniatures yeah. as like the main idea for sets and shit. After that, it was CGI, kind of all CGI.
0: Yeah, bummer. Until now. Now you're starting to get it back a little bit of people mixing it. You know, Denny and people using miniatures and CGI to add that realism, which I really appreciate because I love miniatures. I love that stuff. Also... Of Arnold's one-liners, I think it's the most cold-blooded. I don't know if it's like the coolest, but maybe the most cold-blooded, vicious Arnold one-liner when he, spoiler alert, shoots Sharon Stone in the head and then goes, consider this a divorce. (laughs) I'm like, holy
1: shit. (laughs) I honestly thought that was pretty fucking cheesy.
0: Oh, yeah, but it's like more. I was like, whoa, that's some dark ass shit. (laughs) You had sex with her. You thought she was your wife. You were in love with her. Anyway. Mine is RoboCop. It is absolutely the Basil Pedrilia score is so unbelievably cool. Bum 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 bum. Yeah, it's like that. And all the character actors, as Nick was talking about, the guy from Fame, like I'm a real good shot. I could shoot you from here. You Fill it up. Like such weird little cool interactions. Everybody's doing. Oh yeah. Miguel Ferrier, like the best part, as Nick said, is the corporate scenes where they're being corporate dickheads to each other. When Ronnie Cox grabs him in the bathroom while he's at the urinal, he's like, I used to call the old man names too Iron Butt. But I had respect. Get the fuck off of me. Like, oh man, it's so, it's just corporate pieces of shit. It's about corporate scumbags. And then they accidentally make a Frankenstein who's not into their corporate shit. It's like fucking awesome. So I think we did it. So we pulled off Paul Vierhoven, one of my favorite film directors, even though he only made a couple of movies, but man, he, he came in he hot. He made f- like 12 to 15. I know, but in comparison to like, you know, Marty Scorsese or, you know, Steven Spielberg or somebody like, he really didn't have that many movies that he made, you know? And for how iconic he is and how wildly important to eighties and nineties cinema, he was like, you know, he only made a couple of movies, you know? So wildly <laughs> inaccurate 12 movies is a lot for Hollywood I mean it is it really is it's a lot of movies but like I said in comparison to some people you know some of the directors we've had on here it's but then yeah when you think about like Kubrick or Cameron or somebody they also have not truly made that many movies they've just made iconic ones and uh, I'm glad we got to talk about him and if you're listening Paul I know you're 83 years old but listen man if you want to direct a movie I'll write something weird right now man you can direct it. I don't care. I'll be in it. You could tell. I'll show my tits. I don't care. So, any other thoughts? Any last thoughts on Paul Verhoeven? Nick, Paul, if you're listening, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I'm drinking dwine, eating some cheese right now. I'm fucking do whatever I want. Did He's you right. say dwine? Dwine. I'm where, uh, Yeah, I'm from the Dutch Netherlands. Do you think the Dutch accents putting the D in front of things? You dude, there's a lot. There's a lot of Js and Ds. You don't even know. It's <laughs> a lot of consonants. Yeah, he's right around the corner for us. (laughs) He just explodes in the door. Are you trying to fuck my movie? All right, everybody, on that, we love you guys. I'm Alex Bonner with Nicholas Sauter and Super Producer Brian Tepps. Uh, Remember to drive your car real fast, do drugs, do whatever the hell you want. We love you guys. We'll see you next week here at the Blockbuster Film School.